Eh, let's not do the episode today, actually. Oh, damn it. Just clear my schedule. Yeah, well, we did that for nothing. Daniel, what do you think is the importance of the home? Well, I think the importance of the home is um, it's a really difficult question. Um, I think it I think it goes back to Genesis. You see at the very beginning that God designs marriage, and it's a beautiful uh, union between a man and a woman where they come together. And they then begin this family. And you notice that there's, you know, these children that um, Eve bears, um, where there's, you know, there's Seth, there's Abel, and there's Cain, and there's all these children. And then we notice all the way throughout scripture that there's all these families. And what we see with each family is that they are to serve the Lord. And so I think the importance of a family is one they get to have someone to train them up to learn more about God. Number two is there is a group of people who are, you know, serving God. Well, I mean, you can't serve God if there's no one that exists. And the only way that people can exist is if there's uh, families. But I think it's also with that training up, you know, um, but the importance of a family, of a household, of each individual is what the individual importance is on this planet. It's to serve God. It's to fear him and to keep his commandments. It's to love him and devote our lives to him um, that we may all have a hope of eternal life. It's not just the home and a building that we have and, you know, maybe in Finger, Tennessee, but it's having a home that's set up for us in eternity in heaven. And so that's what I think the importance of a home is. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think, you know, in starting this discussion, I think it's really important to establish why the home is so important in the first place uh, before we start talking about, okay, what's God's uh, desire? How, how does, what's his will for the home? How does he desire it to be structured um, it's really important that we understand how important the home is. Um, I think, I believe the home is a very, very important part of our society. Uh, it's the most personal place in our society. It's, you know, it's where we have, it's where we keep everything that we love. We've, we fill our homes with everything that, with the things that we love and enjoy. And we have, you know, people in our homes that we love and care for. It's the most personal part of, uh, of, uh, the society in w- that we live in, but it's, it's very important, not just religiously speaking. I'm not just speaking religiously, uh, that the home is very important, but also just culturally in, in society, in, in this nation we live in, the home is the most important, uh, place. And I think if you want to change the world for the better, you need to start with the home. The home is, or for one, why the, why the home is so important. It's where our future uh, generations are going to be taught and raised. Uh, it's very important that the generations which are going to be taught and raised are, are uh, raised in a good home. 
in a very well-structured home. Uh, many of the most important things that we learn when we're children is not in school, but it's in our homes. And it's the duty of the parents to raise and nurture their children. The kind of life that they have at home, where they go at the end of every day, where they lay their heads down to sleep, lays the foundation for how they're going to think and view the world for the rest of your rest of their lives. And I think, uh, I think the Bible talks a little bit about this and I don't think the Bible is exclusively speaking religiously when it talks about, uh, children being, being raised, right. People uh, children being raised in, in a good household with a good environment, uh, it doesn't, I don't believe, I don't believe it talks exclusively religiously. Uh, one verse I'm going to note is Proverbs 22, six Proverbs 22, six. It reads train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now I've heard a lot of people cite this verse and say that it's talking about instilling your children with Christian values. And if you do that, they're going to carry those with them throughout the rest of their lives. And while that's certainly a, a biblical concept to teach your children about God and his word and his will for their lives, that's definitely a biblical concept and a, a command for Christian parents. I don't think this verse is exclusively for that. When we think about, uh, when we think about the home, I don't think this verse is talking exclusively about that, nor do I even think that the writer had that in mind when he wrote that verse. Uh, one reason why I think that is because I, I uh, think about a lot of Christians today who grew up in a Christian household, a Christian, God-fearing, loving household, but still departed from the faith and would then die in their sins. I think this verse speaks more of the general values we teach our children, whether those are religious or not. I think this verse talks more about the general values we teach our children, the kind of atmosphere we provide for them in the home and the kind of environment they grow up in that shapes them and that molds them into the kind of person that they're going to be for the rest of their lives. Uh, but as I mentioned, the Bible also does speak of the home life in a religious sense uh, in that we need to teach our children about God, about his word and his will for uh, will for our lives. Now, going back on how the home is where the foundation of our lives are laid, this can be seen in a few people in history who grew up having a very negative view on God and the Bible and Christian values because of what was instilled in them in their youth. And I'm going to cite, cite um, a, uh, a book that Canon uh, Henry Lewis wrote in 1913. Now, Canon and Henry Lewis wanted to illustrate the causes behind the development of some of the most prominent opposers to Christianity that there were. And he wrote these in his work titled uh, Modern Rationalism as Seen at Work in its Biographies. And he notes a few well-known people during this time period or uh, before 1913. These go back to the 1600s. But first he notes Voltaire. Now, Voltaire, who lived from 1604 to 1778, he was a deist who very, very much opposed Christianity. Uh, Canon Henry Lewis wrote that when Voltaire was three years old, his tutor taught him a poem by Rousseau that ridiculed Moses as an imposter. And then from there, you can see that his opposite opposition towards Christianity grew from there. But 
it started at a very, very early age in his youth, you know, in, in his home life, he was taught this poem that, uh, that ridiculed Moses, a biblical character. And then from there, his opposition towards Christianity grew. Next, uh, Lewis, uh, Lewis notes Lucille Duvenant, who lived from 1804 to 1876. Uh, this was a author. She, she, she was a sensual, sensual author, uh, and she was under the pen name George Sand. And she grew up with the philosophy, uh, I need only consult myself with regard to what I wish to do. What I feel to be right is right, and what I feel to be wrong is wrong an opposition towards uh, it, it, this philosophy is an opposition towards uh, there being objective morality, a, a universal sense of morality. Uh, this philosophy says that, you know, whatever I feel is right is right. And of course, that's, that's definitely against biblical teaching. That's definitely a, an opposition against Christianity. But she learned this from the writings of uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, especially his work, uh, Emile. But once again, this philosophy was instilled in her in a very, very early age. Uh, next, Lewis notes, and the last one I'm going to last one I'm going to mention. Uh, he, Lewis notes Thomas Paine, and he lived from 1739 to 1809. But we're all familiar with Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, I would think, uh, he wrote *Age of Reason* as an attack upon the Bible, and. He even said that at the age of eight, he was revolted by the idea that God sent his son to be murdered. But in the writings of Thomas Paine, he speaks a lot of his mother. Now, his mother was a Quaker. Uh, she was religious. But he speaks of her in a very, very negative way, stating that she was a woman with a sour temper and an eccentric character. He never had a single good thing to say about her. And it leaves the impression that the way she taught him and treated him in his youth, gave him that bitter attitude towards the Bible, something she based her entire life around. She was a Quaker. She was religious. Uh, the way she treated him in his youth, that was possibly where his sour attitude towards the Bible originated. And it wasn't just his religious life that was damaged, but it was also his professional life in which there was a, uh, there was a lot of corruption and scandal, and he was dismissed from uh, various offices on several occasions for unethical conduct. Uh, I, I mean, history speaks for itself, and I think just common sense also speaks for itself that uh, what we learn when we're children, the kind of environment we grow up in when we're children, it's going to have a very, very big impact on how we grow up. And it's very important that we provide our children with that, with a good environment, a good atmosphere uh, for them to grow up in. Um, back in the book of Deuteronomy, God through Moses instructed the people of Israel to teach their children about God's word and to let God's word be a key part of their daily life in the home. Now, why would God instruct that? Well, because what, because the kind of environment, as I have been saying, the kind of environment that you create in the home, the kind of atmosphere that the children grow up in is going to uh, affect affect what kind of adult they grow into. And it's very important uh, that Christian parents teach their children these Christian values. Uh, I'm going to read real quick Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 
through 9. It reads, Hear, O Israel, the God, our Lord, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you talk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God through Moses tells them, let God's word, let, let the word of God be a key part of your life. Let the, let the word of God be a very key part of your life at home. Let your entire home life revolve around God and his will. Now, the Bible also tells us what happens when we don't teach our children these Christian values, when we don't teach them about God, when they forget about God, because that's what happened with Israel. Israel neglected this uh, command in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. They neglected this command to teach their children about God and his word. And not even that many verse, not even that many books later in the book of Judges, you see Israel fall away. Judges 2.10. I'll read that one as well real quick. Judges 2.10. And it reads, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, what happened? What happened when they forgot about God, when they weren't taught God as at, at, when, when they were children? Well, verse 11 and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the, these false gods that were around them. Um, though a child who has grown up faithful but departed from God in his adulthood, that, that can't always be blamed on the parents. Uh, and I, I know, um, I, I've noted here, God fathered Abraham or Adam and Eve he fathered them but they still sinned when they were in the garden of Eden God fathered Israel yet they sinned and they fell away and then I think about David fathering Solomon yet Solomon sinned raising our children and teaching them godly values is very very important but I don't I don't believe that every time a Christian falls away we should always blame that on the parents and Blame it on they didn't teach them Christian values. Daniel, what are your what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on just the general importance of the household and more specifically instilling uh, Christian values in our children or just good values in general? I think it all begins like like I, a lot of the great points that you've been making are on you know the best way to have a great household is great leaders, the great parents. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, if you look at many examples and, and I think I, I want to look first at what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 14 through 15, and I mean, you'll, you'll notice what the context is when you begin, but it says now, therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness, put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in your region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And so Joshua's talking about, you know, there's this choice that you have to make. 
as an individual, as a family, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve idols or are you going to serve Yahweh? Are you going to serve these false gods or the one true living God over Israel? And so what Joshua says is, you know, I've made my decision. I've made this decision for me and my family. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hope that's what every parent would be able to say whenever there's difficulties, conflicts, trials within your household. But this would be a philosophy in your home. You know, it's not just this thing that I'm going to hang in the front of my door. It's going to be in my house, you know, that little cute verse of Joshua 24, 15. But it's actually following it through. It's not just saying it, but it's enacting it within your daily lives with your children and within, within yourselves as well. As for me and my family, when there's difficulties, no matter what the culture says, no matter what the culture does, no matter what your country may do, you're going to serve the Lord no matter what. Whether your friends may betray you, whether your family may be uh, living in the world, or away from God, you're going to continue to serve the Lord because you have this independent faith and your children have this independent faith in the Lord. And so if you look at many examples, and oftentimes we don't think of Adam, you know, he's always brought up as the father of all humanity and it's always in a negative lighting. But as you look at his life as a father, he's actually, I believe, a really good father. Because we always look at Abel, and it's always Abel is this tragedy where he dies and he's murdered by his brother. And so, you know, Cain came out really bad. And so, you know, therefore, Eve and Adam were not really good parents. But that's not true at all. Because they also fathered Seth. They also fathered Abel himself. And so what I can notice from that is this. A great parent will train up their child to serve the Lord. That's what the first father did. And that's what every great father should do. But it also shows to me that a great father recognizes, you know, I can't control my children. They might go off in other directions, but I've trained them up in the Lord and they can either choose to serve him or not. That's the way God made, has made us. We have that free moral choice. So train your children to recognize that, that they may have an independent faith and a true good faith in the Lord. But if they fall away, it's not your fault. That's their fault. Yeah. You've done all that you can to train them. Yeah, I, I get a little frustrated when I hear people blame the parents for, uh, for the bad actions that their child or I, I don't mean when I mean child, I don't mean like a, a, a young, young child. I mean, someone who's probably like grown up, um, moved out of the house and they begin to blame the parents. Oh, they probably didn't raise him that good. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's the case. But uh, I guess what I'm thinking of is say an elder, say an elder has a child who's grown up, moved out of the house and that, el and that, elder son falls away from the faith he falls from grace and people may begin to look at the elder and say oh maybe he didn't raise him right maybe he didn't raise him uh teaching in these christian values um you know didn't raise him right in the lord well they don't really have anything to say that on other than that 
that uh, child fell away. But other than that, there's nothing you there's nothing e- even in scripture that you can base that uh, accusation on. Because as I just noted, uh, God, the greatest father in history that there the greatest father that there ever was, his own children fell away. Adam and Eve, as I just mentioned, uh, that they sinned. They, they they sinned and they dwelt in the garden with God. Uh, um, you know, a- Adam, I think about Cain, as you just mentioned, Cain sinned. Does that make Adam a bad father? Well, no. Uh, Israel falling away does that that would to say that um, to go by that same logic that that should be blamed on the parent then you would have to call God a bad father because he fathered Israel or is Moses a bad leader that's another one too yeah and the other yeah um I think I think when you brought up you know I've I've experienced that with uh with a lot of parents um that I know very well because I'm very close to these families but um there's actually an instance with um one one family that i'm very close to that's an elder uh, the father's an elder and their uh their daughter's falling away and a lot of times they want to blame themselves or you know things like that but honestly i mean uh, and, and i've spoken to them about it and saying you know it's not your fault and all that you can do now is just encourage them and love them. And, you know, you can't blame yourself. You've trained them up throughout this entire time. You've shown them a great example. You've shown them everything that God has to offer. And you've done a great job. But now, now all that we can pray for is God's grace and that on God's time that they may recognize who God is and that they may come back um, kind of like the, um, the wayward son. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with another instance, you know, I, I think of two preachers, you have one who's the father and he had three children. One of them is a great preacher, faithful preacher. Um, he has a daughter who's married to an elder. And then the other is wayward. Now, the son, that is also a preacher, he has three children. One of them's a preacher. The other one has fallen away, and one of them fell away and came back. Now, does that make him a bad parent? Does it make both of them bad parents? Because they were good preachers. And, I mean, preachers are notorious for having preacher's kids. Does that mean that they're bad parents? Well, no, I don't don't think so at all. Knowing these men, I don't think they neglected their children. I don't think they mistreated their children. Um, I think they trained them up the best way that they could. And thankfully, you still have two children that are faithful. And you have one that's it's very evident, you know. She went away for a while, but then she came back. That just shows that these children were trained right. And they have chosen this pathway. I think we have to recognize, and I'm not a parent, and you're not a parent, but there, um, there might be parents listening to this. But I think I think the most difficult thing that I've seen in parents is that, on both sides of a father and a mother, is that they feel like 
their involvement is necessary in a manner of where, you know, like you feel like you can just hold them again, like they were a child and that you can tell them everything's okay and that you can, you know, like fix everything. And not in a sense of like, you know, I can control you, but you know, a little bit of that might be in your mind, but we, as parents, I think the most comforting thing you need to recognize is, you know, you've done the best that you can and that's all you can hope for. You have 18 years with these children, make the most of it every single moment and don't let them go. And sometimes, you know, children, they'll neglect their advice, but keep giving it to them because I promise you, you know, once children leave the home, you're going to get a phone call from your child and they're going to be asking you advice. They're going to want to know, you know, how do I need to do this and how can I solve this situation? Because, you know, they're in the real world now and that's all you can do as a parent is prepare them for the real world and for eternity. And that's the role of a parent. Um, if you miss that and you miss it all, and so you know, that would be my advice. Yeah. Uh, the home is a very, very special place. Uh, as I mentioned, it's, the very, it's a very personal place. Uh, and it's the most important um, time in a parent's life when they have a child who's living at home, who's still young and still learning. That's the most important part uh, in that child's life is the kind of life that they have at home and what that, that the parents are teaching them and how they're raising them. Um, and for Christian parents, uh, it's very, very important that they utilize that opera that, that, that opportunity that they have to raise their child, to teach them about God and his word as, uh, as Moses said in Deuteronomy six, four through nine, um, even Proverbs 22, six, I think it was Proverbs 22, six that I mentioned, um, which, you know, as I said, I don't believe applies just to Christian values, but I think also just applies to good values in general. All right. So we've already, sorry. So we've established the importance of the home. It's a very important part of our society. We've established why it's so important. Let's talk about now the main, the main part of our discussion, the main point of our discussion, God's desire for the home. Daniel, where do we find in the Bible where God has has talked about and instructed how instructed how He desires the home to be, how He desires it to be structured. Well, I think we can look at two two passages that are just great. Um, if you look at Ephesians five and six, and you also look at Colossians um, three, and uh, I guess if you don't mind, I'll I'll go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Um, Last night, I got to teach on this passage to my class, and I really enjoyed it, but um, we'll just look at verses 18 through 21, and we'll talk about four different relationships that you're going to see. You're going to see a wife to a husband, a husband to a wife, a child to his parents, and then a father, more specifically, to his child. And so we'll, we'll read, wives be subject or submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. So you look at the wife, 
and you notice that her relationship to her husband is one of submission. Now, this word submission, it's oftentimes given a negative condescension, but really it's a beautiful word because it shows that the woman is to be subject to the man. Now, why is that? Well, if you want to look at Ephesians 5 and 6, you notice especially in chapter 5 where you see the role between a husband and a wife, and you see that the husband more specifically, his role in the household is to be the head of the family. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that? Well, just as Christ, who is the husband to his bride, the church, just as he is the head to the body, the husband is the head to his household, to his bride, to his wife. And so the wife, as a result, is to submit just as the church, just as every individual of the body submits to the head Christ. Um, so what I noticed in that word of submit too is that there's a sense of true faithfulness and putting that person's needs before your own. It's putting them first. And ultimately, I mean, that's what every wife should desire to do. Um, so to be a wife is something vital to the household, as you can notice. Um, great wives are a diamond in the home. You know, they are a great jewel. They're worth everything to that household. They help it stay together. Um, every mother as well. Um, but then you look at the husband and you notice that he's to love his wife. And that shows on the other hand to the wife, you know, I have someone that's reasonable to submit to. Now, you know, you might want to bring up the idea of, well, submit up until the point where it's, you know, I can't, I can't defile my God. I can't leave God. You know, it's either my husband or my God. But in this sense, it's saying the husband has to love. And so within this context of what Peter, uh, not Peter, what Paul is talking about, he's saying that won't even be a scenario. That's not even a choice. And there's not going to be any hierarchy type of um, adolescence. He's not going to be a tyrant. He's not going to be a dictator in this relationship. He's going to be a leader, but he's not going to be overbearing. He's going to love you just as Christ loved us. And I notice within this word of love that it's something very powerful. Because you look back at Ephesians, and it says that we're to love our wives, just as Christ loved the church. And you notice the kind of love that he had? He gave himself to die for us. Now, what I see in that word of love is something, it's not easy. It's not something that should be taken very flippantly. But it should be something that should be recognized as something difficult. Because when you look at the cross and you look at everything that happened beforehand, everything that happened at the moment when he's on that hill of Golgotha, you see all the pain that he endured. And you have to say, you know, there's more meaning to love than just saying, you know, it's not just a clanging of brass and of bells and everything, you know, like what's talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's much more than just saying, you know, I'm going to bear with one another. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to do all these things. It's putting 
more depth to that meaning of love because it's saying something that's like just as jesus christ endured the nails piercing his wrists just as he was beaten and mocked as he endured those things i'm going to endure that same amount with my wife i'm also going to show that same sort of kindness that same sort of compassion I'm going to implement all those characteristics of Christ in love towards the person I spend the most time with. Now, what's so important about Paul talking about this letter of Colossians and why he's ending chapter three on this note is because in chapter three, what he's talked about beforehand is having a mentality of the things above. And he's talked about putting away all the lifestyles of the world. He's then talked about how we need to add these virtues to our lives, but then He's talking about the household. Now, why? It's because that's who we interact with on a daily basis. That's who I see every single day is uh, if I'm a husband, I'm seeing my children. I'm seeing my wife. And to a wife, I'm seeing my husband. I'm seeing my children. And children, I'm seeing my parents. That's the people that we spend most time with. And those are the people that we love the most. But furthermore, those are the people where it becomes most difficult to implement those things. So often, you know, like when you're around your family, you might feel very comfortable. You feel very content and contempt around them. And oftentimes these virtues, they just kind of are put on the side because you're just very relaxed and you're not enduring as much. You're not being as humble. You might not be as kind or forgiving. You might not be as compassionate. You might be complaining. You might forget to endure and furthermore to love. And so you need to do these things in the most difficult of times to those people that you love the most. Put that into action. But as you look at that word of a husband not being embittered, it's talking about being a tyrant. You know, I'm not saying, all right, you do as I say. I'm commanding my wife. No, that's not all. That's not what's going on in this relationship. This is a partnership your companions you're a team you're working together through the problems that you're having in your life i'm not just going to make a decision and then not include you in it at all now we're we're on the same page and i'm not going to move forward until we're both you know in agreement we're going to work together because we're a family because this is a marriage and marriage is something that's very beautiful it's important to have a strong marriage, to have a strong partnership so you can be strong parents who can teach your children. So you look at how a child is to act. A child is to act obedient. All right, that's something that's not new. All right, that's what's talked about in Exodus 20, where a child's to obey both your father and your mother. That was what was going on in the culture in Colossae. That's what was going on at the time in the first century. Obey your parents. Yeah, it's very easy. But what's on the other hand? You look at a parent, most especially a father. You need to provide an atmosphere that's worthy of obedience. You need to provide an atmosphere where I'm not just saying, all right, do as I say and everything that I say. And it's making it impossible for the child to even move forward. I'm not making it to where you do as I say, and only as I say, and I don't give you a purpose, 
You know, so oftentimes you might hear a parent say, um, it's because I said so. And then you don't provide a reason. You know, children aren't stupid. Children need a purpose. The way God the Father treats us is he says, do this. He doesn't just tell us to blindly go out. He gives us a, a statement of purpose. He gives us a statement of promise. That's how a parent needs to react when they're acting with their children, when they're interacting with them. And so their, involve, their involvement is necessary. All right? Be involved with your children. Know what's going on in their lives. Not just saying, hey, how was your day? And then just leaving them alone for the rest of the day. That's not how you need to act with your children. The way you need to act with your children is to be involved, to actually be there and to implement all of these necessary virtues to your life. But notice how it's talking about the fathers. Now, the reason why he talks about the fathers and not just the parents in general is because the father is the leader of the household. And a father is the greatest example that we have in our lives. Who do we look to for acceptance? Who do we look to for encouragement? Who do we look to as the great, uh, the great model for our imitation? We look to our fathers. Because oftentimes our fathers are the ones that mold us into the pe people that we become. And great fathers, great leaders are necessary for the household. Look at Abraham. What a great father he is. One of the greatest fathers in the Bible. When, when you look at Noah, I wish every father was like Noah. Where you are able to go on to the ark. And all that's there is your family. Every single member of your family is on that ark. That's what I would hope for every single family. Is that. A father would be so loving to teach his children that they may be saved. I wish that every father would have the type of faith that's necessary. Because that's what's necessary with every father, with every mother, with every husband, with every wife, with every child, is faith in the Lord. But a father's told not to exasperate. Fathers told not to discourage, not to make their children lose heart. Why? Because you're the greatest encourager of them all. You're to be the one that shows them the Lord. You're to be the one that teaches them, that inspires them. A father is to be that person who leads the way to the Lord, that helps them along the way. So don't discourage them, don't embitter them, but encourage, be uplifting and loving and caring and compassionate. Um, that's all I have about the verse of Colossians. I think the house, the household is going to be as strong as and good as the husband and wife, the father and the mother who are the leaders of the household. Um, yeah, Colossians and Ephesians go into great depth into how a household should be structured. But I think regarding this relationship between the husband and the wife, I think it's more fleshed out in Ephesians 5, 22 through uh, 33. It's more fleshed out and it expands on this relationship uh, between the husband and the wife 
comparing it to the relationship between Christ and the church, um, I'm going to go ahead. We've mentioned we've uh, mentioned it. But I'm going to go ahead and read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to, to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I, that I, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she that she respects her husband. Now, yeah, I, I love this comparison that Paul makes with the with the husband and wife, comparing it to Christ in the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful comparison and and uh, an illustration. I, I love that. But I've seen people who attack Christianity, they, and attack the Bible, they attack what the Bible says about marriage and about, uh, the structure of the household. They attack the Bible and say that the Bible gives the father liberty to be this dictator, as you put it, this tyrant, this, uh, you know, person who has the liberty to, to, you know, be cruel towards their children. And the wife has to be the slave to the husband. I mean, that's how some people just uh, talk about it and, and uh, criticize the Bible, but that's not how the Bible describes it at all. That's not how the Bible describes what that home life is, is like. That's not how it does it at all. Actually, when I read this, I see more instruction for the husband than I see for the wife. I see wives submit yourselves to your husband's but I see more instruction for the husband. I see a uh, husband, father, you be a man who's worthy of uh, being submitted to. Father, you be someone who your child can look up to. I see a lot of responsibility weighing on the shoulders, on the sh yeah, on the shoulders of the husbands and the, the fathers. Uh, they need to be a leader. They need to be someone who deserves that wife. Uh, they, you know, they're not to uh, be bitter towards their children. I think that was in Colossians. I'm, ah, there it is. In Ephesians 6, 4, Ephesians also mentions it. Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Nowhere in here does the does the father or the husband have the liberty to be cruel or to be a dictator in the household? But rather, the husband is to be the head of the household, but he is uh, to love his wife. He's instructed here to love the wife so much that he would lay down his life for her. That doesn't sound like a dictator or tyrant to me. Dictator or tyrant would put the wife in, would put the wife in front if a bullet was coming at him. 
that's what a dictator tyrant would do. But no, the husband is told, you love your wife so much that you would give your life for her just as Christ gave himself for the church. Um, it even says, husbands, love your wives as your own body. Just as you take care of your body, take care of your wife. Uh, like I said, I think a house is going to be as good and as strong as its leaders. The husband and wife need to be the kind of people they in the household that they that God expects them to be. Um, but the center of their relationship, what's really going to make their relationship strong, is putting God first. And if you put God first, they need to do what God has said for them to do be the kind of people god expects them to be be the kind of husband god expects you to be be the kind of wife god expects you to be um yeah i love i just i love how ephesians describes uh that relationship in that home life i do as well it's it's a beautiful passage it really is i when i was teaching this last night i i didn't have time to you know just look at that passage because you know, you're spending a lot of time on one passage. If I'm going through, you know, I think it was like 10, pa 10 verses, you know, in a night. And I'm going to spend all that time talking about all that. I can't also go to Ephesians, but I encouraged everyone that was there to, to read this passage um, because it's, it's such a beautiful, beautiful sentiment about God's um, desire for the home. But I, I like the point that you made about, you know, like, that's what they deserve. And it's also what God deserves as well mm -hmm. for you to be that kind of husband, for you to be that kind of wife. And you know what? I encouraged the people that were there last night was, uh, and the majority of them, there was all women. And then there was just one guy that was Cole. And so it was really funny. But um, so when I got to the application of the, the father and the husband, I was like, well, I guess I'll just be speaking to you right now, Cole. And <laughs> um, but I encouraged them. I said, you know, like, this is the kind of person you need to look for. And this is what you need to be. And what's very interesting to me is that I made, I made the application, which I don't think I could have just made if it wasn't all women, but I, I encourage the women, especially, you know, look for a man that you can say, this is someone I'm willing to submit to. This is someone I can see myself marrying because otherwise there's no point in sticking with this guy. There's no point in dating this person if he's a child. There's no point in dating this guy if, you know, it's not the fact of whether or not he's a believer or unbeliever. Now, that, of course, is very important because you want someone who values God as much as you do. So that way your family may value God. But you want someone who is faithful to you. You want someone who has the same virtues and values as you. And so find someone who you can say, I can spend the rest of my life with this person. Um, I think you know very well from your own perspective that you, know, you made a great choice. And um, you can obviously see yourself living with this person forever. It'd make a good um, choice. Yeah. It's a dime and a dozen. But, um, you know, when I, when I look at great examples, uh, oftentimes when you look at a husband and wife, you don't think about Hosea or um, because, you know, he was married to a harlot. But the love that he had is what's is what we really when we think about Hosea, 
that's what that's what is uh, some noteworthy about Hosea. I mean, his wife, I mean, cheated on him so many times, but the love that he still had for her is so admirable and just so commendable for him. 100%. And it's that true faithfulness. Yeah. And it's, it's just interesting that the entire book just shows us what God is like. And it shows us, you know, from a perspective of Hosea that we can sympathize with God because at that time, you know, they were serving idols and then saying, hey, that idol has blessed us when God's been blessing us the whole time. And it's just so interesting that, you know, that's a great illustration that we see in Hosea. But it's, it's that great example of someone who's faithful and someone who loves, even, even if that person has their flaws. And of course, I mean, that's, you don't want to marry a harlot. I would, I'm not supporting that at all, but I'm supporting the example of Hosea. Um, and, and there's so many others. I mean, just like Abraham, just like Noah. But I mean, the greatest example of a relationship we can look at is Joseph and Mary, two people who were in love and they had a difficult circumstance. You know, they weren't even married yet, but, you know, she got pregnant and, you know, she wasn't sleeping with someone else, but the Holy Spirit um, through a miracle, you know, he had, uh, she was bearing the child, Jesus, and, you know, he could have left her, but he was visited by an angel, and I think it was also a reminder to him, not something new, it's not, hey, just because this is Jesus, you know, stay with her, but he explained everything that was going on, and he loved Mary, he loved Mary so much that he, he could have chosen to stone her publicly, but he, you know, like tried to hide it away that he was going to leave her um, and leave her aside. But no, when he found this out, he went back to her. And then we know this when they got married um, and they had Jesus, that that love continued. And you see two great examples for Jesus as a marriage, uh, as a husband and a wife, but also as parents. Now, they weren't perfect. Uh, that's what their son was. That's what Jesus was. They had their many flaws. They were human, but yet they were great parents, and they were great husbands and wives. I think they're uh, a model that we should be able to follow in our lives, um, and there's so many others. I mean, when you look at the people around you, you look at elders, look at elders' wives, deacons and deacons' wives, preachers and preachers' wives, and just faithful members of the brethren who are husbands and wives, parents, the same. But I think about my two wonderful parents who I'm lucky to have. Um, they trained me up from a very young age to love the Lord. And, you know, when I was 11 years old, one of the happiest days of my life was when I obeyed Christ. And that's what I hope for my future family, for my children, for my future grandchildren. And so this is, this is the idea that I, I think is needed at this moment is what's said in Acts 16.31. This is a desire for every member of the household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That's what we want. 
within the household, the most important thing for every member, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, is salvation. We need service to the Lord. We need faithfulness to God. And, you know, this is the concept that's from Colossians. Is all of that was leading up to a moment where it's saying, this is pleasing to God. This is, um, this is fitting to the Lord. And it's also showing submission to the Lord. So this is appropriate. This is what's acceptable to God. This is the way. This is the design. Follow this way. But also within that, recognize the fact that as we do these things, we're submitting to the Lord. When we do what he has commanded, when we follow that design and that pattern that he has provided, this is how we are obeying the Lord and submitting to him. And so that's why we need to do it. That's our purpose for this. I hope the listeners don't think we got too off topic when we were talking about, you know, tra- uh, teaching your children right and marriage and all that. I, I don't believe it was getting off topic. I think because uh, I think that's most important to being on topic. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, when talking about God's desire for the household, it's, you know, essential to talk about, you know, ch- teaching your children right. It's essential to talk about marriage and all of this because all of that encompasses uh, the uh, the household. Um, yeah, uh, pretty much in summary, God's desire for the household is keeping God number one, keeping God's word, uh, a key part of how the household is run, keeping God's word, a key part of how you live your lives in the home of what you, uh, teach your children or, and just what you, what you teach yourself on a daily basis. Uh, letting God be a key part of daily life in the home. That's that's what God's desire for the home is. Um, you remind yeah. me of something, um, and it's it, it's a thing I've I've heard so often by many preachers when they're giving advice about parenting, and um, and it's always you know like don't lose yourself in one category as you know like don't lose yourself in just being only a parent and then neglect your husband or your wife don't neglect your spouse but on the other hand don't focus too much on uh your spouse and then not even on your child don't neglect your child don't neglect either one because both are vital both are important you have to have that balance of you know i have a job i have the lord who's most important of course i guess i should have put first um then you have your spouse and then you have your child but all of them are an equal plane, but in reality as well, is the Lord is on top of all those things. Um, and so you can't neglect your duties as a Christian, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, or as a mother. You can't neglect your roles. You have to have that balance and continuing in those things. So don't neglect, but remember and initiate that in an action. Yeah. I agree. Um, what was it that one thing that when you were talking about that, I thought you were about to mention something. Is his name Ryan Ryan Manning? 
we uh, he mentioned something about that relationship, about that, uh, about who, what kind of father you need to be when it comes to your wife and when it comes to your children. You mentioned it once. Hmm. Ah, never mind. I don't. I don't. I don't remember either. I. I I thought it was a really good point to add to the to the episode, but we don't even remember. So I'm just gonna have to cut this part out. Anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> um yeah. Um that's pretty much all I got to say and contribute to that. I'm sure I'll have more to say once I'm, you know, I have a full family of my own right now, which is <laughs> me and my wife. Um that's a household right there. Yeah. But I just got me, so that's that's not really anything. <laughs> um, but I would I would like to revisit this topic maybe later on because I think there's a lot more to the importance of the household and God's desire for the home that we didn't touch on in this episode. But I would like to go and study it more and and come back with more thoughts and information. But I would like to revisit this yeah. topic later on because there's a lot there's a lot more when it comes to the importance of the household, like the importance of the father figure, the importance of the mother, um, the, just all of that, uh, just, just all of that. And, you know, God's structure for the home. Yeah. <coughs> um, I think a lot of it is just, you know, th this, this topic, I don't think anyone really feels like they've said it all or it's been sufficient after they're finished talking about it. But I think the way that we have approached is with humility and, um, you know, maybe not through experience. Um, you know, Paul was speaking these things, not firsthand as a husband, not firsthand as a father. Um, he had been a child before and he obeyed his parents, but that's as far as he had gotten. Um, but he spoke by inspiration and he spoke what God's word said. To help others and so that's what i hope we've we've done today but um I, I i think that along the along the road you know we'll learn a lot more through our experiences and we'll learn a lot more um in our lives and through scripture but um i've really enjoyed this and, and i think it's just it's vital that we put a lot of focus on the household because is a very important that's neglected um especially in ministry, like we, uh, we have a, we have a, um, what's it called, a, a degree or a major here at Free Hardeman, where it's not youth ministry, but it's youth and family, and one of the coolest emphasis that we had um, in my youth ministry class was involving the parents within the ministry, you know, it's not just let the youth minister be that supplement um, for that parent you know the the youth minister is going to train my children in the bible not me and i just put that role in them rather than take heed of that myself um because oftentimes that's what happens in a lot of congregations but i am the one that is teaching them the bible now don't neglect to have that relationship with them but that's one of the greatest ways to have a relationship with your child is to train them up in the bible to study the bible with your child and get their perspective you know that's really encouraging and um a child will remember that for the rest of their lives um my 
my dad was a Bible school teacher of mine when I was young. And when I was really, really young, my mom got to be a Bible school teacher to me. And so I've always cherished that, those memories and, um, and they've done great works in doing that with being Bible school teachers. And I, I love them for it. Um, but I, I hope that every parent would remember that role as someone who, you know, trains up your child through your example, through your instruction. Yes. And, example um, is very important. It's not just, you know, you could, you, you can teach them uh, all day long, but if you're not living by what you're teaching them, then your children's going to see that. Ch- children see a lot of things. They pay very close attention. I know because when I was a child, I played, played, paid, paid very close attention. Uh, and and they ask a lot of really good questions too. Do what? I said they ask a lot of really good questions too. And some yeah. of them are really difficult. Yeah. They see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very important uh, when, you know, in the household, uh, when, when you're raising your children, you know, be a very, very good example. Um, all right. Daniel, do you have anything else you want to add or comment on or bring up or debate about? You want to debate me? Sure. Um, we can go to marriage, divorce. and remarriage. Oh, no, no, <laughs> not, not this episode. Uh-uh. Um, I, I just have one thing. Okay. And it's what Paul says, and we've covered this, I know, about the design for the family, but I just want to read this verse where it says um, in chapter 11, verse 3, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Um, the picture that I have in my mind is a triangle. Mm-hmm. We have on one corner, you have the husband. On the other corner, you have um, the wife, but on the tip of the point the very top of that corner you see jesus christ he is the head and that is what's essential when you remove god from the picture of that triangle there's gonna be a lot more difficulties Mm -hmm. within that family there's gonna be a lot more difficulties spiritually when you remove that and you have no foundation on which to stand upon when you remove god and so i think that's very vital is this is a relationship between husband, wife, and most especially God who has um, initiated, who has designed this marriage. And so seek him first, serve him, and um, love him and give your life to him. That verse is uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 3. Um, and that, that's a perfect, perfect verse, which sums up, God's uh, desired structure of the home. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. You know, God's number one. He's at the very top. Uh, that, you know, that, that's a perfect, that's a perfect verse to, to end off this episode with when talking about God's desire, God, God's desire for the home, his desire, a uh, structure for the home. That's it. That's how the home should be. God first, uh, Christ, head of the man, man, head of the woman. Yeah, good stuff. And one one last point, and I know you just said that's a great way to end, but um, the oh. way that you actually initiate that is by looking back at verse one, and it's doing exactly what Paul did. It's imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Yeah, 
And so that's how we need to do it. We have to imitate Christ in our relationships with our, as husbands and wives. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, I appreciate your thoughts and your study on this matter. Um, I appreciate you too. Uh, we hope you enjoyed listening to this. If there's anyone listening to this, if there's not, that's all right. Me and Daniel still enjoy doing this. Um, <laughs> if you are listening, you should go over to Facebook and we have a Facebook page. You should go and like it. And then you should probably go tell other people about it. Since you like this podcast, go tell others and then let them come and listen to it. Um, we do episodes every try. We try to do episodes every Monday and Friday. We sometimes miss a Monday or Friday. Uh, it happens. Life happens. Um, we do Bible class episodes every Monday and then topical episodes like this one every Friday. Or we try to. Um, and that'll just about do it for this episode. Uh, we thank you for listening. If there's anyone there and we'll see y'all next time.